All right, we are continuing our study of David. Today we're going to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, and we're going to study the fact of how uh, David will worship the Lord. Uh, this is about understanding David's heart for worship. And one of the things that I've realized as I've studied this is that in order to have the blessings of God, you need to be worshiping God. You need to be in a worshipful attitude. Uh, and, you know, you don't hear this preached too much. Uh, uh, and, and I believe it's very much needed today. How should we worship? What is our hearts? What do we need to do with our hearts as we approach the throne of God? And, you know, I, I focused on the, on the Lord's Prayer on that issue where Jesus begins this greatest prayer with our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy, will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The whole first part of the Lord's Prayer, even before we get into any certain type of individual request, is the hallowedness, the holiness, the sovereignty, the glorious aspect of God. And we bow before him. And so this is all part of our uh, act of worship, understanding our act of worship, what it is. And the great paradigm here, the example of that is David, as he teaches us this, as he shows us exactly how, how we are uh, to worship. And, and to me, there's so much to learn here uh, in, understanding, in understanding this subject. And so let's take a look. David, uh, in his first recorded act uh, in the city of Jerusalem, is he brings the ark back to Jerusalem. Um, and so take a look at 1 Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to read the first couple verses as we study here. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. Zechariah second, then Jael, Shemaramath, Jehel, Matthiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jael. They were to pray, play the lyres and harps, Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehazel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark, uh, the ark of the covenant of God. So what a picture this is, uh, as you uh, begin to see how David is worshiping God, bringing them in and now worshiping before the ark of the covenant. Um, and, and so there's a new worship order that you see David is instituting here that reflected the worship order of God in heaven. Uh, and it gives, leader, it gives insight into the leadership heart and mind and very zeal uh, about David uh, that he writes about in Psalm 132. Turn to Psalm 132. Psalm 132, verses 1 to 5. O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. What a great 
uh, passage that is that shows you his heart for God. He would not go into his own house. He would not go to sleep. He would not rest. He would not uh, go on with the daily part of his life until he had found a dwelling place, place for the Ark of the Covenant, until he was able to worship God, to thank God. Uh, and to me, this is so poignant as you, as you see this, um, and you see the heart of, of, of David, uh, and you see it uh, in the, this very passage. Uh, and one of the things that I noticed here is as he gave thanks, as he came there, uh, he, he, he basically, before they even ask for anything, they're not making petitions. What they're saying is, God, be glorified. God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done, for how you've impacted our lives. Uh, it's so meaningful to us that you have done this for us. And so this is a big deal. Uh, and so we need to understand the importance of worship, the importance of how you approach God. Uh, and I told you that, that uh, this is a consonant with your prayer life. Uh, as you are, have re, uh, established a line of communication with God uh, multiple times during the day, I tell you that you need to pray 100 times a day. Uh, it may be more than that predicated on, on, on your individual instance, but it means constantly speaking to him. And now when you get a chance after you've spoken with him, then there's a time to worship him, to worship him. Uh, and whether this is Sunday or Saturday night or some other time of the week, you come before the Lord uh, and you submit your heart and worship him. And you'll see here David worshiping God uh, extravagantly. Um, and, and it's interesting when you see what David himself says about his heart relating to finding a dwelling place to God uh, and his vow to seek God with all his strength. Look for, if you would, uh, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. It is effectively the vow of time. All the days of my life, I will be there with you, God. All of my time, I give to you. Uh, what a great prayer, pray that it, prayer that is, that he's asking God in worship, Lord, be with me. I'm going to give you all the days of my life. Uh, and what an example that is as well. Look at Psalm 69. Uh, verse 7. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons, for zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. And yet, all of those uh, vituperations and persecutions and things uh, that David would have suffered, he still fast because of his commitment to God. Uh, and uh, uh, important to understand this. Take a look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14. I have taken great pains, this is David now, I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone, and you may add to them. You have many workmen, stonecutters, masons and carpenters, as well as men skilled in every kind of work. 
in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work and the Lord be with you. Well, if you want to know approximately how much money was David committing uh, to have the temple built, uh, theologians tell us in my research that it's about $100 billion. $100 billion. It's a staggering amount of money. A staggering amount. But it gives you, it gives you an example of his commitment to God. Okay? Commitment to God. I laugh, you know, I laugh when I hear people uh, talk about tithing. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, there'll be people that will say, oh, I, I just can't give 10% to God. I can't afford to do it. And you see this, and you see a man like David who is committing massive amounts of his resources to God, to the very worship of God. Uh, and, and so you see it when people are really, truly touched by God, uh, every part of their life is given to God. Every part of their life is given to God. And I pray that that happens to you. And I know there's so many generous people here, but really and truly, when a man is really saved, the last place he's saved is in his wallet. The last place he's saved is in his wallet. And I pray that that's not the case. That that's not the case. We have to get to the point where we say in our worship of God, Lord, I recognize that I would have nothing but for you, that whatever I have, you have given it to me. And Lord, I pledge that whatever I see is the need, I will step forward in my heart and give to you and, and acknowledge you. And so you see this uh, in every possible way. What a powerful uh, picture this is. Um, and, and so David is, is establishing uh, the worship. Take a look at First Chronicles 28, verse 11. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple. Stop. David will not be allowed to build the temple. God will speak to him. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, the prophet will tell him that he cannot build it because he was a warrior king, and God doesn't want a warrior to be the person who builds the temple even though he will honor David. But God, through the Holy Spirit, revealed to David exactly how the temple is to be built. And, and you see this in this place, that, that uh, he, he gave him, he gave Solomon, the plants of all that the Spirit, underline that, had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and of the surrounding rooms and the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries of the dedicated thing. He gave him instructions for the divisions of the priests and Levites, and for all the work of serving in the temple of the Lord, as well as for all the articles to be used in its service. He designated the weight of gold for all the gold articles to be used in various kinds of service, and the weight of silver for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service, the weight of gold for the gold lampstand and their lamps with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps, and the weight of silver for each silver lampstand and its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand, the weight of gold for each table, for consecrated bread. It goes on and on and on. If you don't think that God cares about the small things in life, read this. This is a, a picture of God being the great architect and designer 
in which he lays out, this is how I want this temple built. This is how you're going to do it. This is how the articles of worship. When I read this, I am amazed uh, at how critical this must be to God in terms of how he wants worship to take place. And so you got a little bit of a taste on that when the Ark of the Covenant is being brought in, but it's not being brought in the way he told you to bring it in. You're violating his will, and now when the Ark tips and somebody tries to straighten it up, he's struck dead. Why? Because for God, the details count. This is worship, and God demands to be worshiped in a certain way. And so when you go walking into church, uh, wherever it is, whether it's a big church or a small church, and you sit down, I want you to know, from the moment that you sit down, you need to be able to start to get into communion with God. I know so many people get involved in all kinds of discussions and gossip and, and, and things like that. I would say to you that you would be much better served as you walk into God that you reflect on this. Reflect on these verses and reflect on how God wants you to worship. This is a time of seriousness, of, of sobriety, uh, about coming in and recognizing that you are where God, you want God to be. And when God joins in that worship through the Holy Spirit, you, you want to be there. And so this is an important lesson for, uh, for us to, to land, learn. Uh, and, and so here you see the very plans for worship. Now, this is a vision that David got. And it's not the only vision given in Scripture as to how God wants to be worshipped. Take a look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And this is the vision that the Apostle John has been given of what it will be like in heaven. John is being brought up in the Spirit to heaven to see it. And so take a look, Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 through 14. Then I saw a lamb, and the lamb is Christ, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's God, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And look at the worship aspect of what they're saying. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom, and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. In a loud voice, they said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise, and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Can I hear an amen for that? What a picture 
This is of worship in heaven. You want to see what it's going to be like when you get to heaven? What it is going to be like as we worship God? Uh, and, and, you know, when you get to heaven, uh, you're not going to be playing a harp and singing on a cloud. You know, so many people have this misinterpretation of what heaven is about. But one of the things that you can be assured of is that you will be worshiping God in, in the very essence of who you are. And you see this here. And so I, when I see this picture of worship to Jesus Christ, I am awestruck. I am awestruck. And so this is how God wants your heart. So when you walk into church on Sunday or Saturday night or whatever night you go, I want you to be mindful of this picture, that this is what God is demanding of us. This is what he's looking for us. And can we honestly say that we have that kind of worship spirit? When you see what David did committing all of his resources to, to God, this is such an incredible picture to me uh, that, that, that I am astonished. Uh, but God wants us to know this. He wants us to know this. And so it's important that, that we see this. And there's examples of this as well uh, in the New Testament. As you see, as you understand that, that uh, God expects dedicated men to be called to his service. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. We're going to read 21 to 25. If a man cleanses himself from the latter. Well, we'll start with 20. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, meaning those things that are ignoble, uh, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind uh, to everyone, able to, pre to teach and not be resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You see here the kind of man that God wants to use in worship, the kind of man called to serve God. It is a man who stays away from evil, who flees from evil, who flees from the, the lust of the flesh, who seeks to do good. And those are the kind of men that God will call in his service. There's the paradigm. There's the example, if you want it, of what God is looking for in us. Um, it's, it's, so, it's so clear to me uh, when you see this. Um, and so it's an amazing picture, amazing clarity that you see David has been given a foretaste, foreknowledge of what will take place in the future. And even as he creates, uh, puts the Ark of the Covenant in place, even as he is given the very plans and the very articles of worship. He's not permitted himself to do it, but he is preparing it for Solomon, and yet God has given him the wisdom. He didn't give it to Solomon, he gave it to David. Solomon would build it, but David had the vision. Now, one of the things that I seek, if you go back and look at 1 Chronicles, again, chapter 16, 
One of the things that you see here uh, is that in, in verse 3, then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite uh, man and woman. Uh, and so what you see here is that prior to worship, uh, God, through David, is dispensing uh, gifts, dispensing food. Uh, and really, again, as a foretaste, this is a foreshadowing of the marriage of the Lamb, the wedding feast of the Lamb, what we will see when we get to heaven, what will take place after the rapture, how the whole church will be together in heaven in the marriage feast, in the wedding feast uh, of the Lamb. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 14. Uh, and you say, you're probably saying, boy, we're spending a lot of time in Revelation. Well, the reason we're doing that is that God, through David, is giving us foreknowledge of what we're going to see. He's, David was the example of this on earth, but now you're going to see it here uh, in, in this world. Revelation 19, verse 7. Okay, and this is now, this is now most likely after the rapture. The church has been brought home to heaven, and we are together there. And verse 7 says as follows. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has been made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so what you see here is an example of how God is going to have a marriage feast, a wedding feast for the church and Jesus Christ in heaven. Effectively uh, foreshadowed by what David did. Uh, as David brought the Ark of the Covenant in. Uh, and so you see how God gives us glimpses of the future, uh, even through these examples, and, and these incredible examples uh, of David in his life. Um, and so uh, David wrote to Asaph at this dedication in, in, in uh, Jerusalem in, uh, relating to the Ark of the Covenant. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, David now has, is uh, effectively blessing the Ark of the Covenant, putting the Ark of the Covenant in place in the tent. And now I want you to see the prayer of thanksgiving that David makes. Turn to 1 Chronicles 16, okay? Uh, and look at the prayer. And that day David commit, for, first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks of the Lord. And this is a psalm. It's not found in the book of Psalms. It's found here in Chronicles, but it's written by David, and it's incredible when you drill down and study it. Verse 8, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. So you see the first part of this is about giving uh, praise to God, letting the world know what God has done. What an example this is to us, that we need to let the world know what God has done for you. Verse 10, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done 
his miracles and judgments he pronounced. Isn't this a beautiful uh, prayer? All you see is thankfulness, giving God glory, worshiping, bowing to him. Uh, and you see God, David thanking him over and over and over again. Now, this is a guy who had been pursued by Saul for 15 years. His life was miserable during that period of time. And yet, in faith to God, in submission to God, he knew that the story would be written with a glorious ending. And this is that ending here, that the Ark of the Covenant has been entrusted to him. It's back in the tent, which he has built to, to uh, honor God. And so you see it, Re verse 12. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and his judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Israel, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen one, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations. There's an important part for you to remember. He remembers his word. He remembers his covenant. God remembers the promises that he has made to us the promise to save us, the promise to hold us in his, his hand, the promise to protect us, the promise that as long as we walk with him, that we will be within his will, that he will be with us. What a glorious prayer this is for us every day of your life. And you see this understanding, this is what God wants you to say. The covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan and the, as the portion you will inherit. When they were but a few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one king to another. He allowed no man to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. You know, it's amazing. I wonder how many modern Jews uh, repeat this prayer. I honestly wonder how modern Jewry uh, teachers of, of, of the Old Testament, the rabbis, speak about this. When you see the promises that God made to them, that he remembers their covenant. Now, look, let's understand something. That covenant was effectively completed when Jesus Christ came to this world. I know some of you are saying, well, I don't understand this. The Jews, after this, the Jews suffered a lot. Uh, this predated the Babylonian uh, invasion of Israel where they were carted off. And, and, but here's the thing. God's covenant promise lasts forever. And so what does it mean? It means that God promised to protect Israel and establish Israel. Israel is now established. God had his hands on that. Let me make this absolutely clear for you. You do not need to watch Fox News. Israel will stay there forever. Nothing that the world will do, the enemies of Israel will ever have success against Israel. Why do I say that? Because God told me. It's in here. It's in the Bible. So what does that mean? It means this, that unless we as a country align ourselves with Israel, we will be outside. Amen. Let's understand that this is a big deal. This is a big deal. That's why I give props to President Trump for saying that the capital ought to be in Jerusalem. Effectively, it's the mindset that we are aligning ourselves with the Jewish people. And you see this in this prayer and in this covenant of God to his people. 
He will be with his people. And somebody brought up with me uh, before class began a a passage in Romans where it talks about the fact that God will eventually call Israel to his own uh, as the world comes together in the second coming. And he's absolutely right. The Jews will be brought back into God's people. They will be brought back. They will accept Jesus Christ. It will be in the latter days. And the entire covenantal promises of God will reach completion. God doesn't leave work undone, all right? He does not leave work undone. So you get this image of David being the first king in the line of Jesus Christ. And that's what's so important as you see this act of worship. And yet even though he is this first king in the line of Jesus, God will not allow him to build the temple. Oh, God, how can you be so mean-hearted? Look at this man's heart. Look at his commitment. Yes, yes, he understands that. But God also knew that he did not not want a person who had the blood of many thousands of people on his hands at the time that the temple would be built. And so God will honor him. He will use him. He will put him in the line of Jesus. He will be the man who puts together all the things that are necessary for the creation and building of the temple, but he will not be the one to build the temple of God. That right will go to Solomon. And when we study this, we will see how David took that, which was incredibly well, as he accepted God's uh, decision for his life and he submitted to him. And so this, is, this, is, this psalm is incredible to me as I, as I see David's heart. I see his, his heart. As you move down uh, in this psalm, look at verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, amen, and praise the Lord. What a great picture this is. When you see worship taking place, the way God wants it uh, was to take place. And you see the praise, what a tremendous psalm of praise. Uh, And so this is the mold of worship that God has for you. When you come into God's house, when you go and worship God, what you need to do is you need, first of all, to thank him and glorify him for all the things that he has done, uh, for all the ways that he has been with you for the way he has protected you and consecrated you, for the blessings in your life, for everything that he has given you in every possible way. Um, And so when you study, when you study uh, the tabernacle uh, and you see the ministry of David and you understand the gifts that David gave, what you see is that the tabernacle of David has at least seven expressions that are deeply connected. This is on point 12 of the outline. And they are as follows in terms of broad categories. First, spiritual expression. That is prophetic intercessory worship. You see that here. David's gift by God was that David had the intercessory gift to worship uh, and to pray. And that is a magnificent gift that God gave David, putting him in the lineage of Jesus. Then secondly, political expression, contending for justice and righteousness in government. Underline that. That's important to God. It's important to God. Justice and righteousness in government. 
unheard of today. Unheard of today. But in evidence, in evidence in David that he was just and was righteous and led the country in, in righteousness and justice. And so you see this uh, uh, and contending in every way for justice and everything he did. And then messianic expression, meaning what? Establishing a believing remnant in Israel. That's what David did. He put together a believing remnant in Israel, showing that this is the key. When you're the king, he's the leader of the nation. Well, the leader of the nation is completely sold out on God in every possible way. And so what does that mean? He is effectively the leadership of the kingdom, demonstrating God's will. Uh, And then missional expression, impacting all nations with the gospel of the kingdom. So what do you see here? You see that David, David is evidencing his heart for God and indicating that to other people, indicating it to other nations so that other nations would say, look at that man, look at that country, look at how they bow to Jehovah, how they serve Jehovah. What an expression that is. There's a lesson for us. Do you, do you when people see you, do they know that you're a Christian? Do you, do you give off the fragrance of Jesus Christ? When you walk into a room, do people stop? Are people drawn to to you and want to talk to you about the problems that they have? Do they ask you to pray? I hope you say yes. I hope you're telling me that there are people that look to you and ask you to pray for them because they know that you're dedicated to God. They know that you walk with Jesus Christ. I hope you're telling me this because if you're not, then you need to go back and say, God, help me to be that kind of man. Help me to be the way David was in this regard, to be completely sold out for you, God, so that wherever I go, people will know who I stand for. This was effectively what David was doing. Uh, And we call that the missional expression. Then there was the supernatural expression of David's kingdom. uh, And that was releasing God's power, glory, and miracles. Listen, David, David had numerous miracles in his life. From the time that he slew Goliath, the wild animals, God was with him and elevated him and affirmed him. His whole life was filled with the glory of God, even when he was being pursued by Saul. How amazing is it that Saul with all those armies couldn't kill David? It was because God put a hedge of protection around him. And what an example that is for us. That when you walk with God, even when times are hard, even when you're going through suffering and persecution, that God will put a hedge of protection around us. Because you're God's man. You're walking with God. You're walking within the righteousness that God has given you. You walk within the light. And you see this with David in every possible way. You see it. Then then there's transformational expression, meaning David restored cities, agricultures, and economies. And I want to say something about that spirit of David and the spirit of God today. Take a look at the country of Israel. I reached, I've never had the chance to go, but I'm, I'm going to go, I think, within the next year or two. Uh, and look at what that country is like. It's one big rock. All right? It's one big rock. All right? It's desolate. Uh, And you saw that as as David was pursued and hid out in caves. And yet look at that country today. That country blossoms with agriculture. It has some of the best agriculture in the world. How does that happen? It happens because of the blessing of God, the protection of God. Make no mistake about it. The Jews are very talented people. 
Okay? They're very hardworking people. But you could have all the talent in the world. If God is not blessing what you're doing, you're not going to see those kinds of results. There is the, the blessing of God. And let me say something to you. If you find somehow that there is an anti-Semitic aspect of your heart, you need to immediately ask God to wash that. You need to immediately wash that out. These are still God's chosen people. He has moved them aside during the church age for the Gentiles. But at the end of the day, they will be brought back into the fold. All right? And David is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Those promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David will not be forgotten. And you can take that to the bank. And then finally, eschatological expression. What does that mean? It means what will happen spiritually in the future. And you see this in everything that David has done in every aspect of what he writes, that God has given him an insight into what will take place in the future. It is receiving Jesus as king over all nations reigning in Jerusalem. When Jesus comes back, he's going to head directly to Jerusalem. That's what the Bible tells us. That will be the centerpiece of the world order. Can you imagine this little rock in the Mideast because of God, will wind up being the very place where all the world will bow. And if any of you doubt that David did not have eschatological uh, vision, I want you to turn to Psalm uh, 22. Psalm 22. And this psalm uh, is written, uh, this psalm is written 1,000 years before Jesus will be crucified. It's written 800 years before crucifixion will be invented. Invented. 800 years before crucifixion will be invented. And I want you to see what, what the vision that David has of, of, of the very crucifixion as he writes this psalm, which is a foreshadowing of what Jesus will suffer on the cross beginning with verse 12. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't have a single broken bone, but his bones were out of joint. All right, and you know that he was pierced and the water in his body, the pericardial water flew out of his body. You know that. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. Effectively, that's a, a vision of congestive heart failure. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. What did Jesus ask for on the cross? He asked that a sponge be, be dipped in liquid because his, his mouth had become parched. What you're seeing here is God has given this man eschatologically a vision of the future, of what will take place. Uh, and, and continuing on, uh, verse 16, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Pierced my hands and my feet. What an incredible expression. Pierce as in nails, my hands and my feet. Who would write something with such clarity? Uh, when, when you, but he would, because God gave him this image of what would take place on the very 
cross. Uh, by verse 17, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. You know, one of the great things that we know about the crucifixion is that Jesus didn't have a single broken bone. And we know that the reason for that was that Jesus was the Passover lamb and the Passover lamb was not to have a single bone broken. And so there he is when on the cross, when typically you would have their bones broken at the end, when they went to break the legs of Jesus, he had already expired, fulfilling the prophecy. And so you see this, you see David writing this um, a thousand years before verse 18, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Folks, you've read the, the crucifixion account. You know that the Roman soldiers did that very thing. They stood there at the foot of the cross and divided up the remaining garments that Jesus had. They drew lots for that clothing. Yet David saw it. He wrote about it. All right? You see the eschatological vision that God had given this man uh, as, as king. Um, and, and so what an incredible uh, incredible uh, vision you see here. Uh, and yet what you see here is the eternal aspect of who Jesus is. Uh, and yet he writes about that at the end. Uh, when you read it, verse 25, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I and fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All right, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Verse, verse 30, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn for he has done it. Folks, we're talking about Jesus Christ. 1,000 years before, through the vision of God to David, through the eschatological vision of God, David sees what will take place. And so you bow, you bow before God, and you see how he honors David, how he lifted him up. And you say, why? Because David submitted his life to God. He humbly bowed to God, and he worshiped God. You want to be close to God? You want the blessings of God in your life? The blessings of God come into your life when you first worship him. Worship him. Worship him with a deep and abiding worship. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us today. Lord, we understand how important worship is to you, how specific you were in the details of how worship would, would take place. Lord, help us to understand this. Let us reflect on this this week. Be with our men, protect them, and bring them back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.